creation of Jesus Christ, we are uh, looking this evening at Psalm 24, and we are, are doing that along with um, beginning a, a study of the contemporary testimony and to, to understand again more fully what we believe. We, along with other churches, hold to the truth of the Bible, of course, as our complete authority for faith and life. So we take that, have that completely at the center. We also have various creeds and confessions. And if you notice on the handout, I have outlined there the creeds and confessions that we hold to as a church. Sometimes the question is asked, isn't the Bible enough? Why do we have these creeds and confessions? And the answer is absolutely. The Bible is the center of all our understanding of faith. These creeds and confessions simply seek to express that truth of the Bible, not to replace it, not to add to it, not to undermine it. They are simply expressions, statements of that truth. Fully biblical, fully there to help us remember and understand the great truth expressed in the Bibles. And so I just wanted to highlight for you those uh, statements of faith that we are familiar with, more familiar with. The first one is the Apostles' Creed, which speaks about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I wrote the date there. It's, it's probably from around 100 AD. And what happened was that as the church was developing at the beginning, then there was a, a, a need to have people understand, okay, what, what is all involved in terms of what we believe? And so just to put that in a, in a good, clear summary. And so the Apostles' Creed was developed, and, and the, the, one of the earliest understandings of how it went was in relation to when someone came to faith. Someone heard the good news, the gospel, and they, they came and they said, I believe, by the Spirit they believed, and they wanted to be baptized. And then the church, the early church said, absolutely, we baptize you. So they they took the person, uh, and then they, they would ask them, do you believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth? And the person would respond, I do. And then they would dunk them. And then they would stand them up again. And they would say, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And they might add a few of the things, that he was born of a virgin. And that began to develop. And the person would say, yes, I believe. And they would dunk him again. And then they would say to do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in you and in the church? They would say yes, and they would dunk them again. And that was a full baptism, understanding in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so that became then the Apostles' Creed, which was the standard of faith and continues to be. In the ministerial here in Lacombe, we have a constitution, and anyone who agrees with the Apostles' Creed is considered part of the ministerial. Now that leaves out Mormons and Jehovah Witness and, and those who can't say Christ is God and 
So it, it makes a distinction, but it draws us together, too. With the Baptist, the Alliance, everybody, the Clive people, we all come together. We have differences, but we hold to the central truth of the faith. And so the Apostles' Creed continues to be a powerful statement, beautiful summary, active in people's lives and in the church. And we also say it quite frequently as well as the summary of our faith. The Nicene Creed came along 300 A.D., and it was an, another attempt to be clear about what the Bible is saying. And the main issue was around how the Holy Spirit fits into everything, and it became a little technical. And if you read the Nicene Creed, you'll, you'll see that. We don't say the Nicene Creed as often, but it was an effort to get the summary understanding of the Bible just right and in a helpful way. And it was helpful at the time, and it continues to be helpful as, as a creed that expresses just a little more fully what, what the Bible talks about. It's a little longer than the Apostles' Creed, and it, it brings in a few different things that were considered too essential to, to know and to understand. And so we have that. Again, fully biblical. And then the Athanasian Creed. Do you remember the Athanasian Creed? We almost never use it. I think I've had you say it once or twice while I've been here in nine years. Let me give you just a little sample of it. A quote from the Athanasian Creed. The Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Spirit is almighty, yet there are not three almighty beings but there is just one almighty being. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Yeah. And so Jesus is God uh, from the essence of the Father, uh, and then it adds he is human from the essence of his mother. So it adds that he is completely God and completely human. So it tries to state the truth of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely three and yet completely one, and Jesus completely God and completely man. And it, it tries to explain that. And that, that is a, a truth of the Bible, absolutely. But it is, it is difficult to state and even to fully understand and express. So the Athanasian Creed is the uh, historical best attempt and it's received and agreed upon as a very uh, clear, as clear as possible statement in that regard. And so we have three creeds that we hold to. I want you just to note in relation to them, they are true efforts to summarize the truth of the Bible. They're also very old. They're from between 1500 and 2000 years ago. We have three confessions the Catechism you know, written in 1563, the Heidelberg Catechism, very personal, and as people read the Bible, the, the Catechism came alongside to help them understand the truth of the Bible, questions and answers. And so that continues to be a very helpful and comforting document that is used in our church and in many churches, in fact. The Catechism is is still very well received and used in, in many places throughout the world, Reformed churches and elsewhere. 
So it is a beautiful document written in the 1500s to help after the Reformation people who had little biblical understanding because in, in the Catholic church system it was Latin and, and there was very little actual reading or study of the Bible. So when the, the Reformation took place and the Bible became available to people in their own language, then the Catechism was, was very helpful to just help to explain how all of the truth of the Bible unfolded. And so it was at that point, and it continues to be a very helpful statement, biblical and encouraging. The Belgic Confession came in 1566 through persecution. Uh, Guido de Bray wrote a summary of the faith and presented it to the King of Spain in an effort to protect the, re, uh, the Reformed churches, the Protestant churches. And so it became, too, just a, a very um, encouraging and helpful statement of faith that we have looked at before the Belgic Confession. And then the Canons of Dort came out of controversy where there was discussion in relation to how we are saved. <coughs> how, much of, how much of what I do helps save me? And there was discussion about that. And, and some felt that, that what I did, uh, the, the, the more I did, the, the more, yeah, I helped save myself. And then the, the response is, no, no, it's only God's grace. That that's where our hope of salvation lies. And so the canons of Dort speak about my, my inability to, to add or save myself and my reliance totally on God. So, so that came out of that uh, a controversial situation and became just a, a clearer statement of understanding how the Bible offers us salvation. So those are beautiful documents, beautiful testimonies in themselves about God and faith and the Bible. But again, that, uh, the, the three confessions are fairly old. So, so a number of years ago, uh, back in the, in the 70s, the Christian Reformed Church, people like you and me were, were thinking and talking and reflecting, and they knew the creeds, they knew the confessions, but they said, too, why, why can't we write one? Why can't we do something? And so that initiated in 1970 the idea that we need some kind of contemporary statement of faith that speaks a clear word in our day. Why, why can't we do that? And so, as we do in the Christian Reformed Church, the, a committee was called together, right? We need a committee. And so the committee came together. And five years of committee work, and then they had a statement, a contemporary statement of faith, and then it had two years of review, and then it was accepted in 1986 as the contemporary testimony of the Christian Reformed Church. It, it is not on a level as the creeds and confessions. The creeds and confessions are historical and have the, the, the weight of reflection and usage, the weight of time, right? So, it was not given a, a title, uh, the contemporary creed or the contemporary confession. It was deliberately called a testimony. 
Um, you can see it in the back of the Psalter hymnal. It is uh, on page 1019 through 1038. It has 58 stanzas, and it again moves through the great truths of the Bible, through creation, the fall into sin, redemption in Jesus Christ, and it adds who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit. It speaks about the truth of the Bible, the mission of the church, and the new creation. And it's my hope to go through the main areas in the evening services, to just be refreshed again in terms of what we believe and how the truth of our faith speaks into our contemporary culture. Just, I didn't even realize this, but there is initially, like I knew when the contemporary testimony came out in 86, and uh, as I began ministry in 93, uh, I followed it along and, and it was well received. And I went to Synod in, in 2001, 2002. And then, and then there was an updated version. So the one in the hymn book on page 1019 is, it has been updated. It was updated in 2005. They were working on it. And so I just want to, to highlight for you, even as, as it, it came clear in my mind, that contemporary testimony is always going to be contemporary, which means that it's always going to be updated. So it was written and approved in 86, so 96, uh, 2006, 2005, it got updated. A committee sat down and spent two years and they, the, the majority, uh, the, the structure is, is basically similar, but they, they adjusted stanzas, they adjusted wording, they adjusted especially examples. Because in the contemporary testimony uh, from 86, it talks about nuclear war and the nuclear threat, and it talks about contemporary issues. And now it talks about computers and viruses, and it talks about stuff now. And, and you see how the world is changing so quickly? And so the contemporary testimony is going to continue to change, to speak specifically with the examples it uses and, and, uh, and the hope that it expresses, trying to use the language and examples and, and words and, and themes of, of modern life. So it'll never, it'll never have the sense of, oh, that was written a thousand years ago, it doesn't apply to us. No, it's, so they, I like that. This is a contemporary statement that, that is going to continue to be uh, worked on as necessary till the Lord comes again. So that's, that's the vision, that it will speak a word of truth in the world as clearly as possible and so, in 2008, the revision was accepted. And so it, so the grace altar is actually out of date. You have to check online if you want to see the latest version. It'll likely, every 20 years or so, 15, 20 years, be updated. They gave it the title, Testimony, to express 
that it's less than a creed or confession, but also because in our world, in our, in our understanding of things, in the modern world, you can argue things with people, and you can, you can try to, to argue theology with people, and, and you can do that, uh, apologetics, and you can, can seek to do that, and that's very worthwhile. And, and if, you, if you study and work at that, you can, you can bring a, a clear biblical argument to all kinds of things. But if, if you give your testimony, if you give your testimony, if you and or I, you know, fairly rational human beings, fairly normal uh, Canadian citizens, if, if we have the understanding that, that we have a testimony and that, that we can go to others, to neighbors, to friends, to people who, who don't have a, a faith background, and we can actually say to them, I, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. This is my testimony, my personal testimony, that I, I know how God has worked in my life, and, and I can't explain it scientifically exactly, and, and people, yeah, they, they can take it or leave it. You, you have that, but this, this is my testimony. And it's, it's irrefutable, it's, it's powerful, it's the way to reach our modern culture, not to try to argue them into things or, or, or threaten them, but just to come in the love of Christ and say, Christ is my Savior, and, and then, then to let the Spirit work. So the whole wording of that it is a testimony and that it continues to give us opportunity in our culture, there is room for a testimony that powerfully touches people's lives. You see it in advertising all the time. You see how someone gets up, you don't know who they are, and they say, I used this product and I lost 20 pounds. What, what is that? That's a personal testimony. And why do they put that on TV? Because it strikes people, oh, must be true. Looks like a normal person, reasonable person. Use the product. We would, we would simply be bringing a sincere, true testimony of who our hope, where our hope lies and who our Savior is. And so that's, that's the kind of thing that, that is behind using that term and the sense of contemporary, as I said, that it will continue to be updated and worked out. It's called Our World Belongs to God. Our World Belongs to God is the theme. And the reason that's the theme is because in our modern times, at this time, for the very, very first time really in human culture, there is a denial of that. That, that really, that's, that there, historically everybody kind of believed in a God, different gods or or different things, right? But now you actually have the majority saying, well, there just is no God. And so, so the response to that, that modern kind of evolution-based movement into a godless world, that we simply testify our world 
belongs to God. And so that really comes from Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. Wow. That's, that's quite a statement to make today. That summarized succinctly, our world belongs to God. And to say that and to testify to that, pushing against the pressure of our culture to push God out of politics and schools and, and like the Quebec Charter, they had their secular charter. They don't want any religious stuff at all. No mention of God, no religious symbols. That push gets pushed back when we say, like Psalm 24, verse 1, our world belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. One final thing is, is the tie very deliberately when it uses the word belongs. That ties back to our, our confession as, as a church. We, we have dear to our hearts out of our historical confessions, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, what is my only comfort in life and in death? That I belong. And so that, that word belong in, in our, our faith tradition is, is tremendous comfort. I belong somewhere. And, and you see people living and they don't know where they belong. They, they don't know who, who they are or whose they are and, and where do they belong really. And to draw them into the truth that God wants them they, they really, in his heart, belong to him. And so the world belongs to him and that they belong to him. And so to bring that comfort into a world that denies that truth to its, its, its own uh, detriment and, and, and the sadness and the emptiness that that brings. So to bring a, a solid expression of faith through our personal testimony in this modern culture is a powerful witness to God as creator and to Jesus as savior. And so we're going to be looking at that um, through the next number of weeks and months to just again let God speak into our lives so that we as well continue to be that witness. Let's pray together. Gracious God, it is our prayer that you would be at the center of our lives and may we truly know you and Jesus, your Son, by the power of the Spirit, may we honor you in our lives and as a church in this broken, chaotic world. May we live out the truth that all we have belongs to you, our house, our car, our time, our strength, and that as we enter into a faithful uh, relationship with you, that, that we can then see ourselves to belonging to you, being part of your family, receiving to your care, your goodness and your grace, your forgiveness and your loving presence in our lives each day. Lord, may we continue to be those witnesses, those, that light to the wonder of your love in this world, even in this area, in Lacombe, and that you would continue to work in us by your word and spirit and build your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.